If you take your Bible with me this morning and open to the book of Galatians chapter 6, in just a few moments we're going to read verses 7 to 10. I actually picked the video that you saw here a few minutes ago with the roller coaster. I don't normally or often pick the videos that are used before my messages, but I specifically chose that one. One reason is I love roller coasters. I don't ride roller coasters much anymore. I don't go to amusement parks much anymore. But when I was going, I loved roller coasters. I've ridden, at the time, all of the roller coasters they had at Kings Island. I rode all of the roller coasters they had at Disney World. And I rode all of the roller coasters that they had at Six Flags Over Georgia. Uh, I just love the rush, the thrill. I don't like the lines, but I love the rush and the thrill and the excitement of riding in a roller coaster. And you know how you're going down that first really tall hill and you're going as fast as you're probably going to go for the rest of the ride and you just sort of are off the seat. I mean, you're just almost floating in the air. If it weren't for that bar across the, your lap, you know, you'd come out of that car altogether. I, I like to ride roller coasters, but you know, roller coasters sort of illustrate for me today, um, you know, what life sometimes feels like. I'm in a uh, a break in our series of messages about dear Paul from 1 Corinthians. And these four weeks that I've taken out, I've come to try to encourage you, to try to, uh, to help give you guidance and direction, to motivate you, to, to help you to recognize that you need to dream dreams again, dream great dreams. We need to be people of compassion, people that are showing compassion to others. And, and today, my challenge is don't run up the white flag of surrender. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't go away. Hang in there. God's going to do something if you'll just be patient and wait on him. And a roller coaster sort of symbolizes the ups and downs of life, doesn't it? I mean, you can remember crawling up that uh, tall mountain, what seemed like a mountain that took forever, click after click after click until you finally got there. And then suddenly you're plunged over that hill and you're rushing down as fast as you can go and you've got your hands in the air, you're flying off your seat and you're waiting for the next curve and you're all over that seat and you got highs and you got lows, you got adrenaline rushes, you got the agony sometimes of waiting in the line, you've got exciting moments, you got boring moments. Life is a lot like that, isn't it? Life has a lot of, of up and ups and downs in it. And sometimes when we find ourselves in some of those down moments of life that can last not just a day or two, can last weeks or months or maybe even years. We find ourselves in some of those uh, difficult moments. We're not at the exciting time of the ride that's going on. Sometimes we feel like we want to give up and we want to quit. We want to give in. So today I'm sort of like a coach. I got you in the locker room. It's halftime. Uh, we're not winning the game. We're going to have to really play well in the second half of the game if we're going to come back out and we're going to win the game. But I've got good news for you. We are going to win the game because we know Jesus Christ. And I'm here to motivate you, to tell you, don't you quit no matter what you face in life. I read an interesting story about a couple that had their normal Sunday morning routine before going to church. The wife got up, she had breakfast, she showered, she got dressed, she put on her makeup, and she was ready to go. But it was then that she noticed that her husband was still in his robe and his pajamas. 
So she asked him, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he said, I'm not going to church today. And she responded, what do you mean you're not going to church? Give me one good reason why you're not going to church. And the husband replied, I'll give you three good reasons. Reason number one, the church feels cold. Reason number two, no one likes me. And reason number three, I just don't like it there. Is that good enough? Well, she listened and she responded, well, what if I give you three reasons why you should go to church today? Reason number one, the church is actually quite warm and friendly. Reason number two, there's a few people there who like you. And reason number three, you're the pastor, sweetheart, so you better get dressed and get to church. <laughs> it's not just people who sit in the pews that find themselves in difficult circumstances at, some, at moments and in the valleys of, of life at moments who want to give up and quit. Uh, sometimes it's even the men who stand in the pulpit who feel that way. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 6. You notice verse 7 what he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now remember that phrase. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, specifically, if you're interpreting this verse of Scripture in its context, he's talking about giving, giving to the work of God, giving to the workmen of God. Don't sow to the flesh, sow to the Spirit. Keep doing what you're doing in your giving because in due season, you're going to reap. God's going to give it back to you. And that's the encouragement of this particular passage. But that encouragement about not growing weary while you're doing good because in due season you'll reap has a greater application than just to your giving. It has a greater application to every part of our lives as believers. It has a greater application to our commitment to Jesus Christ that we just don't let ourselves get weary to the place that we want to run up the white flag and we want to quit. We don't let ourselves get weary to the place where we consider giving up in the midst of the fight. The word weary literally means to be utterly spiritless, to be worn out, or to be exhausted. It's uh, translated eight times in the New Testament. Four of those, it's translated as the word faint. Don't faint. And two of those times, it's translated as here, the, as the word weary. But the weariness that he's describing here is a type of weariness that, that leads to the abandoning of the task that we've been given to do. And all of us have tasks in life that we've been given to do. We have responsibilities in life that, that God has given to us that we have to fulfill. Another way to talk about not being weary is to develop perseverance or to develop endurance. We all need to develop that perseverance. We all need to develop that endurance that even when the opposition is great and even when life is not turning up roses and even when the road is not even and smooth and it's not easy to, to uh, traverse, even in those moments, we have to learn to persevere. We have to press through. We have to keep going. 
we can't give up. We have to keep moving, and we cannot allow ourselves to quit. One of my favorite stories is about a commuter flight from Portland, Maine to Boston, just a small plane. But it was being piloted on this particular day by a man named Henry Dempsey. As they were taking off, he and the co-pilot heard something at the back of the plane, and they didn't know what it was. So when they got up to a safe altitude, he turned over the controls to the co-pilot, and Henry Dempsey went to, to the back of the plane. Well, as he arrived at the back of the plane, they hit an air pocket. And when they hit the air pocket, he knew immediately what was wrong in the back of the plane because he fell up against the door, and the door came open, and he was sucked out of the plane. Immediately, the cockpilot knows what's going on. The co-pilot, I should say, knows what's going on. And he looks, and he sees these emergency lights on the panel in front of him. He knows the back door is open. He radios to the tower and says, I've, I've got to find a place to land the closest airport as quickly as possible. He gives uh, the coordinates of where the pilot was sucked out of the plane so that they can send some rescue helicopters to start searching for him. But after the plane had landed, the emergency crews discovered that Henry Drummond had caught hold of the outdoor ladder of the aircraft. And somehow, he had held on for 10 minutes as the plane flew at 200 miles at an altitude of 4,000 feet. And when they landed, somehow, he was able to keep his head from hitting the runway when they touched down. And they say that... It took several minutes to pry his fingers from the rung of the ladder to which he'd been holding. I guess so. I'd have a hard time getting my hand off of that rung of the ladder as well. You know, sometimes the best thing for us to do in life is to just hold on till better times come. You don't see posters like you used to see when I was a teenager. You had posters, you'd hang them on your wall in your bedroom, and you had different kinds of posters. Some of them you shouldn't have had on your wall probably. Um, but one of those posters was of, of a rope that was hanging down from the top of the poster. It was a four-color, full-color uh, poster, the rope hanging down from the top. And at the bottom of that rope, there's a knot that's been tied at the end of the rope. And there's a cat that's got its claws in that knot. And down at the bottom, it says, uh, sometimes you just have to tie a knot in the rope and hold on. And that's the way it is in life. When you're going down that roller coaster ride, you just sort of have to tie a knot and hold on until you get to the end of the ride. You can't get out in the middle of it. You don't want to get out in the middle of it, right? You want to finish out that ride. And the reality is sometimes we just have to tie a rope in the end of the tie a knot in the end of the rope and we just have to hold on. That's just the reality of life. If anybody told you that life was going to be smooth sailing, there'd be no trouble along the way, that your road before you would all be paved and there, there wouldn't be any obstacles or opposition or any problems or no difficulties, they didn't tell you the truth. Jesus said, in this world we will have tribulation. We live in a world that's been cursed by sin. Since Adam partook of the forbidden fruit, all of creation, including you and me, have been plunged under the curse of sin. And the result of that is that there are reversals in life, and there are hardships, and there are difficulties, and there are tragedies. People say, I can't understand what happened. Well, I can't understand everything that God is doing in a specific situation, but I understand the bigger worldview picture that this is not heaven. 
This is not the kingdom of God on earth. That's yet to come. This is not the new heaven and the new earth. In heaven or in the kingdom of God or in the new heaven and the new earth, it won't be like this. But right now, it's sort of a roller coaster ride. You have some high moments and you have some really, really low moments. You have some smooth sailing and then you have some heavy winds. Uh, Sometimes you are standing up and you're running and other times you can barely crawl. And that's the reality of the life that we live. That's the reality of living in a world that's been cursed by sin. And I think we do a disservice to our young people if we don't prepare them for that. That there are hardships. We don't want them to go through them. But there's going to be hardships and there's going to be obstacles and it's not always going to be easy and there's going to be trials and tribulations and you just have to expect it. And sometimes when you don't know what else to do, you just tie a knot at the end of the rope and you just hold on to God. And you say, God, I'm not going to quit no matter how difficult life may be at a particular moment. I have to think that that must be how Paul felt. Listen to him describing his missionary journeys. He said, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Think about that. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, and besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches." You wonder if the Apostle Paul ever wondered, is this going to end? Is this going to get better? Is it always going to be this hard? Is this difficulty going to continue? Will it ever be smooth sailing again? The reality is that we all have to be understanding that there are going to be hardships and there's going to be difficulties and there's going to be trials and there's going to be moments of sadness and there's going to be moments of happiness. There's going to be times of success, and there's going to be times of failure. There's going to be times when it's smooth sailing, and there's times when there's resistance. That's just the world we live in. And sometimes we just have to take the spirit of Christ, take the spirit of the Apostle Paul, and say, I will not quit. You know, you wonder about Paul. Did he ever feel like quitting? Have you ever been whipped? Have you ever been left at sea? Have you ever had night after night of sleeplessness? Have you ever faced any of the kinds of hardships that Paul had to go through? And yet he kept moving forward. You read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you know, he, finished the, he finished the race that God had given to him. But you know, there are those moments in the race when you think you can't go on any further. And you just can't quit. I've come to tell some of you today that It's not time to quit. It's too early to quit. You might have been thinking about it. Life may be difficult. It might be hard for you right now. There may be a lot of reversals going on. There may be all kinds of opposition that's happening. Sadness has overshadowed you. Depression has taken hold of you. And you're wondering, can I go forward? And God has a message for you today. And that message is, don't you 
quit. You know, there's some things that the Bible talks about that can cause us to become weary, if you're taking notes. Fatigue and exhaustion can cause us to become weary. There's an old Greek proverb that says, you'll break the bow if you keep it always bent. Obviously, before all of the fiber, carbon fiber products that are available today, if you kept the bow always bent, kept the tension on the bow, apparently the wood of the, of the bow could become cracked and ultimately it would break. And stress has a way of doing that to us, doesn't it? It brings us to a breaking point. But, but I like even better what Vince Lombardi, the famed football coach, said. He said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Have you ever been so tired that you just didn't think you could go forward and everything scared you as a result? There's something about a night's rest. There's something about some time off. There's something about getting away from the stress. There's something about getting to a place where you can relax that allows you to recuperate and to recover your energy and to recover your strength and to recover your fight. Think about Elijah. Elijah was public enemy number one. Elijah, the prophet of the Old Testament, he was public enemy number one. The enemies of God hated Elijah. He was living on the edge, if you will, every single day. He experienced a tremendous victory on Mount Carmel against the prophets of Baal. And from there, he ran approximately 25 miles from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. He went another 100 miles from Jezreel to Beersheba. He went an additional 50 to 20 miles out into the wilderness. That's a total of 130 to 150 miles. All of the emotional stress and all of the pressure, all of the threats against him, the threats of Jezebel against him, all the threats against him. And imagine, just imagine how physically and emotionally spent Elijah must have been. You know what he does? He lays down under a tree out here in the wilderness. He lays down under a tree and he prays to die. God, just let me die. You know what God does to Elijah, what God does for Elijah in that situation? In that situation, God allows Elijah to sleep. He sends an angel, he wakes him up, and he says, I got some food for you, you got to eat. And then what does the angel do? The angel leaves, and God lets Elijah sleep some more. Then the angel comes back and wakes him up later and gives him some more food before Elijah gets up and he continues on this journey. What did Elijah need in that moment of his life? He needed rest. He needed to be able to close his eyes and sleep because exhaustion makes, a, makes cowards of his all. Fatigue makes cowards of his all. All of us feel that way. You know, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to sleep. I hope not during this message. <laughs> but do you know sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to take a vacation? Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to get away from the rat race of life for a little while. Why? Because fatigue and exhaustion can make us weary. Inferiority and inadequacy can make us weary in the course of life. Do you ever feel adequate for the job you're doing, for the task you're given? 
Maybe you do in your profession. I never feel adequate at the task that God's given to me. Every sermon's a failure. Every Sunday's my last Sunday. There's no way they'll have me back next week unless they want Mary back. We all have a sense of a feeling of inferiority and inadequacy. And social media doesn't help because now we're comparing ourselves to the pictures of these people over here and realizing how much more they have than we do, how much better they look than us, how much better they are at taking the right selfie at the right spot, how much nicer their kids are, how much smarter their kids are. And we compare ourselves among ourselves. And Paul says, we are not wise when we do that. Because it feeds into that inferiority, it feeds into that inadequacy that we always feel in life. We don't think we have the qualifications. There's got to be somebody who's more capable than me. And that inadequacy, that inferiority causes us to feel that sense of weariness beginning to grow in our lives. Think about Moses. God came to Moses in a burning bush. That'd be scary enough in and of itself. Take off your shoes, Moses. God's going to speak to you right here at this bush. And God says, I want to commission you to lead my people out of the land of Egypt and take them to the promised land. And what does Moses do? Moses says, Lord, do, do you hear me talk? You know I can't go before Pharaoh. I can't speak plainly. I can't speak clearly. Lord, surely you've got somebody else who can do this job better than me. And then what does God say to Moses? God says, who is it that makes your lips? Meaning, who is it that makes you capable and able to speak? Meaning, I can do this through you, Moses, if you'll just be a vessel. You don't have to be adequate or capable in and of yourself because I can do it through a willing vessel if you're just willing to yield yourself. But we find ourselves feeling inferior and inadequate sometimes like Moses felt. I was looking at a book recently uh, titled uh, Transforming Your Relationship with Money and Life. <laughs> it, it was written by Lynn, uh, Lynn Twist. But in it, she has a couple of paragraphs. I want you to listen to it. She writes, For me and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. She continues, we spend most of the hours in the days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with a litany of what we didn't get or didn't get done that day. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and wake up to, to that reverie of lack. This internal condition of scarcity, this mindset of scarcity lives at the very heart of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudice, our arguments with life. Do you ever feel like that? I don't know that there's been a morning that I've ever gotten up and didn't think to myself, I'm still tired. I wish I could go back to bed. Or I don't have enough time today to do all the things that I need to get done today. Or I don't have the skills or the abilities to be able to do all the things that I'm called to do. Listen, that's the reality of the life that we live in. 
fatigue and exhaustion can cause us to become weary. The feelings of inferiority and inadequacy can can cause us to, uh, to, to feel weary. And we have to lean on the Lord and let God do it through us. Opposition and resistance can cause us to become weary. Wouldn't it be nice if nobody ever resisted you and nobody ever opposed you? Wouldn't it be nice, honey, if everybody loved us? And everybody liked us. I tell Mary sometimes, I say, honey, everybody loves you. Everybody likes you. And I say that with a jealousy of it. (laughs) Everybody loves you. Of course, she doesn't stand here and proclaim the word of God every Sunday. Everybody loves you. Everybody likes you. You ever felt that way about somebody? There's opposition and there's resistance. There's almost nothing in your life that you're ever going to get done that isn't going to require getting past opposition and resistance. There's always somebody who's going to say, I don't want you to do that, and I'm going to stand in your way and try to keep you from doing that. That will always be true. It will always be true. There was a pastor who was being harassed and he was being criticized by his congregation to the very point that he thought he was going to resign. He just couldn't take it anymore. He sat down at a meal with an older minister and he told him about his troubles and about his desire to resign the church. And this older minister, this colleague of his, began asking him questions. Do your people ever spit in your face? To which the pastor said, no, of course not. The older minister said, do they ever hit you in the face? No, was the answer that came back. Have they tried to dress you up, then mock and torment you? Again, the answer was no. Have they stripped and scourged you and crowned you with thorns? And finally, the younger minister interrupted his older colleague and said, no, and God helping me until they do, I'll hold on. And sometimes in the midst of the opposition and the re- midst of the resistance, you just have to put your head down. You have to tie a knot at the end of the rope and hold on. You have to decide, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to endure. I believe God wants me to do this. I believe this is the right thing to do. And I'm not going to quit and I'm not going to give up no matter who stands in opposition. Again, think about the Apostle Paul and all of the opposition that he faced everywhere he went. And yet he kept going. Challenges and obstacles can cause us to become weary. Challenges and obstacles can cause us to become weary. While resistance may be something that's negative, the the challenges and the obstacles may just be something that otherwise are normal in life, but they're standing in the way of you being able to do what you need to get done. I think of young Timothy. Paul sent young Timothy to the city of Ephesus to set the church in order. When you think about young Timothy, you've got to remember some things about him. He was a young man. Compared to the other people in the church, he was a young man. Uh, he was somewhat timid. He had to be encouraged about not allowing his timidity to overtake him. Uh, he had to deal with people that were older and had been in Christ probably longer than he had. I mean, in the task that he was given to to accomplish, which was setting the church in order, was a task that was monumental in size. And yet Paul takes this young man and sends this young man to Ephesus, and he says, I've got a job for you to do. God will enable you. God will help you. Don't let anybody despise your youth. You be an example of the believer. Don't let anybody, young people, don't let anybody despise your youth. 
You be an example of what the believer is supposed to be. There'll always be obstacles. There'll always be challenges in the course of our life. Maybe not negative things. Maybe not resistance and opposition like they dislike you and they hate you. Just challenges you have to get over. There's hurdles that you got to get over. There's mountains you got to tunnel through. Y'all ever used to go on the turnpike? before they did away with the tunnels on the West Virginia side. And you got your kids in the back seat, and when you go into the tunnel, you say, let's see if we can hold our breath to the other end of the tunnel. Y'all never did that? Or blow your horn while you're going through the tunnel just to aggravate everybody in the tunnel? How do you get through a mountain? Sometimes you have to tunnel through it. There's challenges, there's obstacles that you have to deal with. I heard, I heard about a young boy that was trying to learn how to ice skate. He'd fallen so many times that his face was cut and the blood and the tears ran together and were dripping off of his face. face. And an, an older man had sympathy on him and he skated over to him and he helped him up and he said, son, why don't you quit before you kill yourself? And the boy wiped the tears from his face and told the man, I didn't buy these tickets to learn how to quit. I bought them to learn how to skate. That's my kind of kid. That's my kind of man. That's my kind of woman. You know, I, I realize I can't stand on these skates yet, but I'm not going to quit. Have you ever tried to ice skate? It is not roller skating. You just don't quit. You just persevere you just endure you just keep pressing forward when your marriage is tough and there's challenges and there's obstacles in your marriage or in the rearing of your children you just don't give up you just don't walk away you don't just you don't you don't say well you know if this is going to be this way i'm going to i'm going to end this thing that's not what you do you just don't quit. You don't run up the white flag of surrender. You, you just keep pressing forward and you refuse to stop. Sometimes you have to take these harder projects and you have to break them down into smaller segments and you work at them until you get one segment done then you work the next one and the next one and the next one until finally the entire task is completed. But you don't let the obstacle or the challenges keep you from accomplishing what's been given to you to accomplish. Ungratefulness and indifference can cause you to become weary. I'm not going to spend much time here, just a moment. If you're working hard and you're giving your very best and nobody ever says thank you and people are indifferent to the work you're doing, it really can dispirit you really quick, can it? Can it? It, it makes you feel like, does anybody notice? Does anybody care? Is anybody interested? Does anybody see and of course, we shouldn't be doing things just to be seen by others. But isn't it nice when somebody comes along and pats you on the back and says, good job. We're proud of you. Thank you for what you're doing. And ungratefulness and indifference can cause us to become weary. And frustration and disappointment can cause us to become weary. You ever get frustrated? Yeah, about 10 times a day. You ever get frustrated? You ever get disappointed? Things aren't turning out like you thought they were going to turn out. They're not happening as fast as, you're going, as you want them to happen. I've been through multiple building projects, and nothing ever happens when they say it's going to happen. And I still have trouble with it. Are you all with me? Yes. Nothing ever happens when they say it's going to happen. We're going to be done by thus and so date. 
No, you're not. We already know you're not. But even though I know they know they're not, and I know that they know they're not, I still get frustrated. Don't you? When things you're working on aren't happening the way you think they ought to happen and they're not you know, occurring like you think they ought to occur and there's all of this disappointment. Man, I thought we were going to be done with this. I thought we were going to be through this. I thought we were going to be... And you're disappointed and you get weary. I wonder if that's how Jeremiah felt. 40 years he preached to the southern kingdom of Judah and he never had a convert. He was often thrown in prison. He was even placed in a well or in a pit on one occasion. You find him depressed. You find him discouraged. That's where some of us are, depressed and discouraged. He wanted to quit, but he said, the fire of God is burning within me. But he wanted to quit. I want to quit. You know what he's known as? He's known as the weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. And he watched his his, his southern kingdom go into captivity to the Babylonians. Can you imagine the heartbreak he must have felt? The frustration and the disappointment. Why didn't they listen to me? Why didn't they listen to my voice? Why did they disobey God this way? And frustration and disappointment. You know, lists like that can go on. The challenge I'm making to you today is that whatever it is you're facing whether it's in your marriage or it's in your business, it's in your family life, it's in your neighborhood, it's with making a team or making a grade or how you're doing in school or whether you're going to pass the next college exam. My, my challenge to you is don't quit. Don't quit. You just keep pressing forward. You tie a knot at the end of the rope and you hold on. And you refuse to give up and you refuse to give in. I'm going to press forward. You're going to see perseverance. You're going to see endurance for my life. Can you think of a better example of what I'm talking about than Jesus himself? No greater opposition, no greater disappointments could have been felt. There could have never been the challenges like the challenges that were given to Jesus the hatred that he constantly faced. Everybody was against him except a small number. Everybody was against him. Everywhere he went, people were dogging his steps. They were watching everything he did and listening to everything he said, looking for him to make a mistake. Now, thank God he was the son of God and he couldn't make a mistake. But can you imagine with the vultures circling you all the time? Have you ever, been, you ever, you ever seen the vultures that are circling and you're wondering if you're the dead thing they're about to come and haul away listen to what it says Hebrews chapter 12 looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him now listen endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God endured the cross despising the shame and Jesus sets before us the example that he has for all of us in the course of our lives life is full of challenges it's full of difficulties and heartaches and reversals and hardships yes there's lots of joy there's lots of happiness there's lots of successes as well but if that's all you think about and that's all you've been told you're going to experience you haven't been given a full picture of what life is really like 
And sometimes you're going to find yourself so dispirited and so discouraged and maybe even so depressed, you wonder, can I even get up tomorrow and can I go on another step? And I'm going to remind you that you just don't quit. You just press forward. You refuse to give up and you refuse to give in and you keep doing what God has placed before you that is your responsibility And you say, God, with your help, leaning into you, I'm going to move forward. I read a poem many years ago now. I've picked it up on numerous occasions over the years. And I want to read it to you. I've read it here before, but I want to read it to you again. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to smile, but you have to sigh, When care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is strange strange with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a failure turns about when we might have won had we stuck it out. Don't give up. Though the pace seems slow, you might succeed with another blow. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. Often the struggler has given up when he might have captured the victor's cup. And he learned too late when the night slipped down how close he was to the golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out. The silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you can never tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight. When your heart is hit, it's when things seem worse that you must not quit. Somebody's thinking about quitting. I don't know specifically what it is. But God has a word for you today. Don't you quit. Don't give up. You say, I'm going to give up on my church. I'm walking out of my church. I'm not coming back. Don't quit. I've been leading a life group, and I'm discouraged, and I don't want to go back and lead again. Don't quit. I've worked downstairs with the children, and the children for all these years, nobody even hardly pays any attention or even notices me, and God says, don't quit. My marriage is struggling. We hardly see each other. We're ships passing in the night. We, we share an address, but little else. Don't quit. Your kids are away from God. And they're not where they ought to be following the Lord. And you've wondered, maybe I should just walk away and leave them alone. No, don't quit. Don't give up on your kids. Don't ever quit and give up on your kids. Let me say it again. Don't ever quit and give up on your kids. Don't ever quit. Don't quit. If God has brought something to you and it's difficult and it's hard, then the reality is God can help you and strengthen you until you get through it. Or he'll sustain you in it. That's what Paul said. He had a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. He asked God three times, take it away, take it away, take it away. God says, no, it's yours. You're going to keep it. And then he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Maybe you laid to rest a loved one. You think to yourself, I don't ever want to go out again. I never want to go anywhere again. I don't want to see anybody again. Maybe you have to rest, but don't quit. 
Maybe you're getting up in years. I'm talking about Brother Tim back there. Maybe you're getting up in years and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I ought to just ought to back off. I understand. I can't do what I could do when I was 40 or even when I was 50. I understand sometimes you have to rearrange things. You have to do things a little differently. Maybe you have to apportion things differently. But whatever you do, if there's breath in your lungs, God's not through with you. Please don't quit. God sent this preacher to tell you this morning, not only should you dream great dreams and should you show compassion to people that are hurting, but God sent this preacher to tell you that it's too early for you to quit. I'm going to close with this story. It's, it's fictional. I almost want to say a fable, but there's no animals involved in the story, so I won't call it a fable. You say, why would you tell us a fictional story? Well, you're going to know when I get to the end why this story is so important. It's about a man who was weak and he was sickly. So he decided what he was going to do was he's going to withdraw from society and he was going to go off and he was just going to die. He owned a cabin out in the country where it was away from everybody. So he retreated to that cabin and he sat out on the edge of his porch every morning rocking away on that porch, looking out from that porch, and there was a huge boulder that sat just off the edge of that porch. Over time, he developed a serious cough. He began spitting up blood. He was getting worse by the day as the days were passing. One night, the man had a dream. The dream was very clear. He was, push, he was to push the boulder for six hours a day. Jesus was the one that gave him the command. And three times in the dream, Jesus spoke clearly, push that rock. Push that rock every day. Push the rock with all your strength and might. Well, the man was awakened the next morning with the golden rays of the spring uh, sunshine coming through his windows. He got out of bed with a clear order and purpose. He ate his breakfast. He went out on the edge of the porch and he started pushing and he pushed long and hard through those spring uh, through those spring days and into the summer days until sweat would run down his face whether it was raining or it was sun shining he was out there pushing this rock day after day he obeyed the command of his lord and he pushed the rock he only stopped to rest for a brief period of time and to eat one day in the fall of that year the man was sitting on the edge of his porch and he looked at the huge rock that he pushed on all spring and summer, the leaves were beginning to fall off the tree, and the man wondered how far he had actually pushed the stone. He'd never established any criteria to measure his success. So he measured the rock's distance from the porch and several other angles, and he would push several hours a day as he was told, and he would measure the rock to the man's heartbreak. After two more weeks, of pushing the rock and measuring, he had not moved the rock even one one-thousandth of an inch. So the man decided not to push the rock anymore, and, to, and the dream that he had just faded into the distance. Again, the man sitting idle on the porch for a few days, 
He prayed and he prayed, and it seemed as if his prayers weren't going anywhere, as if they were in vain. And one day, Jesus appeared on the porch with the man, and Jesus asked him, how are you feeling? The man said, wonderful. Jesus asked about his eating, and the man's appetite had grown. Jesus reminded the man of his terrible cough and the blood. The man got to thinking about it, and his cough had been gone for months. Jesus told the man, go look in the mirror. The man stepped over in front of the mirror. He was once a weak and sickly man. Now he was strong and muscular and stood straight as an arrow. And the man was amazed. Then Jesus said to him, I never asked you to move the rock. I asked you to push against it. While you pushed against the obstacle, I changed you. I stretched you. The obstacle made you a well and strong man. And what's the moral of the story? Maybe you don't move the rock, but God changes you. But whatever you do, don't you quit. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't surrender. Don't run up the white flag. Don't throw in the towel. Can you think of another saying that goes with that? Don't quit. If there's, long, if there's breath in your lungs, God has a purpose for your life. Don't quit.